You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. I'm Sharon Noonan and tonight the lineup will include a conversation with Sinead Neeland about growing your own pumpkins in preparation for Halloween 2015. Fulcher Ireland's Helen McDeat has details about a free marketing toolkit for food businesses. I will be sharing my chat with journalist Katie McGuinness that I had whenever I met her at the Dingle Food Festival and nutritionist Christine O'Sullivan will be in the studio with advice about diet and eczema. As always, at the start of the show, I like to tell you how to get in touch with me. Please send your emails to me, s.noonan at live.ie or tweet me at queenoforg or be in short for organisation. It's always great to hear from you, the listener, about what you like about the show and if there's anything in particular you'd like me to cover here on The Best Possible Taste. So please don't hesitate in getting in touch. So on with the show, as they say, and we're going to start tonight with a chat with Sinead Neeland from the Organic College in Drumcolaher. And I'm going to ask her about pumpkins and how difficult, easy it is to grow your own. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Sinead Neelan, Director of the Organic College in Drumcolaher. Welcome to the best possible taste this evening for your usual slot. Thanks, Sharon. And um, I was, you know, we were talking before about what we should talk about tonight. And I was just thinking, well, Halloween has just passed. So pumpkins, I'm very interested to find out more about pumpkins, where they came from, how you grow them. Are they difficult to grow? Just really... What can you tell us about them? Um, I suppose, really, they're not an, not an Irish tradition. You know, even the carving, you know, everyone now, just with Halloween, is carving the pumpkins. Um, in Ireland, it was turnips that were used, you know, a large swede to carve out. Um, so I suppose the whole idea, the whole pumpkin thing is more an American tradition that has come over. And in America, there's a great tradition of pumpkins and squash in general, where the people eat them. It, you know, it was, it was a crop that you grew and you stored over winter, and they were really useful. You know, and the fact that they store for quite a few months is really good. Um, and I suppose in Ireland over the last few years, we've got into. You see the pumpkins in the supermarkets all the time, but it, people are buying them for the Halloween carving to make the lantern. They're not really um, buying them as a food source, which is an awful waste because they are a really good food source and a really good and tasty food to have. Well, you talk about the turnip there and it's carving the turnips back in the day for Halloween. I certainly remember that. And that was not an easy job. No, sure, they're really hard. I mean, a pumpkin is difficult enough, but a turnip is... Like, like a rock, really, when you try to start carving into it. So it's not so, not so easy. So the pumpkin, really, it's just the starting bit, getting the top out of it, because the flesh is quite soft inside, isn't it? It is, yeah, and it has a lot of seeds in the centre as well. But, like, pumpkins are related to courgettes and cucumbers that we grow quite well here, and they're, they're not that difficult to grow. The trouble is they take up a lot of space because they kind of, I suppose, crawl or ramble along the ground. So... You could have one pumpkin plant and you could stretch out for five or six feet in your bed or your growing area and you might only get one or two pumpkins from it. So they take up quite a bit of space. But I suppose they are worth doing because if you get a nice big pumpkin, 
um, you you can keep it and you'll get quite a lot out of it um, if you're going to use it for cooking. And there's lots of different varieties. I suppose we think mostly of the pumpkins as the big ones for Halloween, but there are smaller varieties for eating that are you know much better and quite tasty and sweet. And like pumpkin makes great soups. Um, and for using it in, you know, I suppose just like you'd use a courgette in, in cooking that way. You know, there's a lot of things you can do with it, roasting it, um, etc. And it's really sweet. Chef Weird Murphy was in last year, around this time last year from Adair 1826. And he talked about the seeds. I think he said about boiling the seeds first to soften them and then toasting them. Right, because the what we would what you'd buy as a spot, you know, if you went and bought a packet of pumpkin seeds, like you'd buy sunflower seeds, they're kind of green and they're not, they don't look like what just comes out of the pumpkin. So yeah, you would need to to work on them and roast them to get that flavour. That's really what what gives it to them, you know. And then I think maybe he had said about a bit of cayenne pepper or chili spices or something, just you know, to yeah. taste it. And that would make them into like a nice tasty snack, which is is great. But if you didn't want to eat them like that, can you plant those seeds? Oh yeah, those seeds are what exactly what you would be planting using to grow. So um, you know, if you do grow your own, you can save your own seeds every year, and it's quite easy because you can see when you take out the flesh, the seeds are inside in the flesh. They're quite easy to clean off and just dry them off, and then put them into somewhere, uh, into a container that would keep them dry, and put them somewhere where they won't get damp or frost, and then you'll be ready to go in the spring again. So you plant them out in the spring. Yeah, you don't have to plant them too early because they are a late you know, a late autumn crop. Um, and I suppose most people would want to have their pumpkins ready before Halloween. Um, so you would probably sow the seed in March, April, and then transplant out in June after frost has gone. Treat them the exact same way you would treat a courgette. Um, and put them, they'll grow perfectly well outside. You can put them in a polytunnel if you want, but they grow perfectly well outside. And they just have to be prepared that, that they're going to take up a lot of space. One seed, one pumpkin. But there must be an awful lot of seeds in one there pumpkin. There is, yeah. Yeah, there's quite a lot. So you could, you could get a fine crop of oh, them yeah, yeah. if you were prepared for the the maintenance and to give them the space like if you buy one pumpkin this year you could have 20 pumpkins at least next yes, year you could, yeah easily okay yeah. that's very yeah. interesting now and um something now i'd say it'd be quite good for kids to do yeah you um, and you'd often actually see they'd have a kind of a children's pumpkin competition where you where you're growing the seed to see who gets the biggest pumpkin um a year like we've had this year with the late september and that you know was a great year for plants like that because very often when we get into september and the weather changes the pumpkins will suffer a bit outside but this was a great year so that you know lots of people had good pumpkins this year growing in their gardens and if you wanted to you know you'd said about the different sizes there so at the moment say we have a, a fairly substantial pumpkin at home do I need to let that grow to that size if I plant there that pumpkin seeds out in the spring do I need to harvest it whenever it's that size or can I harvest it whenever it's a bit smaller or would that affect the taste of it you can harvest it a bit smaller you don't want to harvest too, it too early because it won't be ripe but I mean you'll know because it's you know it goes a good orange colour and you kind of know when it's ready it depends on the variety I mean if it's a big pumpkin variety well then you I suppose you let it go till it's a big pumpkin but you know taking it off a little earlier won't be any harm 
And the good thing with the pumpkins, like all the squash, is that they store really well. So if you had a few pumpkin plants and had four or five pumpkins and you all, you only wanted to cut one up for Halloween, you can, once they're fully grown, you can cut them off the plant, leaving a bit of the stalk on it, and put them somewhere dry and cool. And they will store away all through the winter so that you could have pumpkins whenever you feel like it. You know, they'll take you right into next spring and even longer. They store very well. When you do carve it, or as people have done for Halloween, they've carved it, once you take that flesh and everything out, it's starting to deteriorate from then. Is there anything you can do to preserve it? Can you Not do people really. spray hairspray or um, do I suppose if you want to preserve like it for your for as a, as a lantern, um, yes. yeah, yeah, and you yeah. could spray something. Hairspray is very often used for that sort okay. of thing. But it's, you'll find is when you put the little usually it's the candles that you put in and the heat that it draws out the moisture, I suppose, as much as anything, and the whole thing just starts to kind of curl up you know yeah, so candles and hairspray then wouldn't be a they wouldn't be a great mixture no <laughs> so the flesh then as you said is great for soup yeah yeah or to roast I well think maybe when you're making the soup a lot of people roast the the the, the chunks first first yeah and of course of course anytime you roast anything like that you know to make it in a, you know to make something else of it of course it's going to enhance the flavor by the actual roasting of it but i mean if you're if it's from taking from carving your pumpkin it'll be more kind of flesh bits and that really goes better towards the soup whereas if you just chop up the pumpkin itself and you can you know you can cut out nice pieces out of it then they probably chop up better for um, roasting or using it for something else and pumpkin pie that is actually a sweet dish. It is. It's more, yeah, a kind of a dessert. Do they add sugar to it? Brown oh, sugar yeah, yeah. Or something you would, to, yeah. You, okay. I suppose the same way that you'd be making an apple pie or a rhubarb pie, it's the same kind of idea. You're using the, the pumpkin as your fruit filling as such. So it's quite a versi- versatile veg. Is it a vegetable? Um, I suppose, yeah, a vegetable or a fruit. I suppose we might call it a fruit technically, but yeah, the vegetable. But I mean, they're, they're, all the pumpkins and squash, there's a lot of different types and they have a lot of good flavours. And it's just, I suppose we don't have a tradition in Ireland of using them. So it's trying to get into the idea of that these are a winter veg, you know, a veg. And there's something that you can have in the winter as opposed to, you know, in the summer when we'd be eating other vegetables. Well, you mentioned butternut squash there, which I would also associate it with this time of the year which I just love whenever it comes to soup I think it makes a lovely soup. it makes a lovely soup yeah but you can also use it um, uh, I actually had it recently because we, we saw a recipe for it was a lamb and butternut squash kind of curry I suppose tagine tagine yeah Um, and it was really really nice because again you know the the butternut squash is nice and it takes up all the flavours and it works really well and you know butternut squash kind of slices roasted as well you know again lots of different things you can do with them you know I feel that what puts a lot of people off things like pumpkin turnip butternut squash is that they're so hard they're difficult to cut and then some of them are the awkward shapes so to get the nice uniform chunks can be quite a challenge it's true they are quite hard you know to cut open and then you've got to be scooping out the seeds and I suppose some people think that's a lot of hassle but I mean they are they are worthwhile they're 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 a good vegetable to, to use and again you know if you're thinking of eating in season these are autumn harvest crops that store for the winter so that's the time that you're meant to be having them do you know so it, 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 they're a good winter staple a good sharp knife I'd say is the key there it is yeah a good sharp knife well Shania thanks so much for coming in to talk to us about that mm. 
We will have you in once more before the end of the year and that'll be in December. So I suppose we might be focusing on the, the Christmas dinner. So at that stage we'll be then. at that, yeah. And if any of the listeners have any questions, they should get in touch with us. S.Noonan at live.ie is my email address. And to keep an eye on the organiccollege.com website for everything that's going on out there as well. And thanks again for coming in. Okay, you're welcome. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Thanks to Sinead for sharing her knowledge there about pumpkins and other things. And if you have a question for Sinead that you'd like me to put to her on her next visit in four weeks' time, please send it to me, s.noonan at live.ie, and um, we can have a chat about it. Still to come tonight, Christine O'Sullivan, the nutritionist, will be in the studio to talk about eczema and diet. And I'll be sharing that conversation that I had with journalist Katie McGuinness. She writes restaurant reviews for the Gloss magazine and uh, food stories for the Sunday Times. So I had an interesting conversation with her at the Dingle Food Festival and I will be sharing that with you later on in the show. Next, though, we're turning our attention to marketing in the food business and Helen McDade of Fulcher Ireland is on the line to tell me about a free toolkit that is available online. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Helen McDade from Fulcher Ireland, thanks for joining me on the phone this evening. Hi Sharon, how are you? I'm great this evening and I'm looking forward to talking to you about the Fulcher Ireland Food Story Toolkit. Explain to the listeners what that's all about. Well, what that's all about is really um, we work very closely with the with the industry and we work with a lot of businesses on the ground. But obviously, as, as a development authority, that's one of our key roles. But one of the things around food tourism we've been looking at is really kind of changing that conversation around food, particularly internationally. I think Ireland has has progressed unbelievably, and like I think it's truly gone through a food revolution in the last kind of four or five years or even five to ten if you look at it longer, but I think the impact's really been felt this last kind of four or five years. And now we need to kind of, I guess, help businesses tell their food story better in a way that'll resonate with the visitors both domestically and internationally. And this this food story is a way to do that. And the thinking behind the shared stories, I mean, to be honest, initially... We had kind of looked at doing, I don't want to get too marketing, but like a proposition or, or something that people could kind of get behind. But the more we looked at it, it was kind of in danger of falling into a brand. And as soon as you have a brand, like people love stickers and logos, but if it's not maintained and checked and has credibility and integrity, then the brand loses its value. So we didn't want to go down that route. So what we decided to do instead was take a shared story approach. Because the thing to remember about this is, I mean, yes, we can message and with our partners in Tourism Ireland and, and, and we can market in a certain way. But the food tourism landscape is vast. Like, it includes <clears throat> primary food producers, secondary food producers, you have food distributors, you have hotels, restaurants, pubs, cafes, festivals, cookery schools, events, foragers, trails, like, you name it. There's a number of people that are all involved. So the more that we can get all of those people involved, kind of not saying the same thing, but kind of singing off the same hymn sheet, if you like, um, so that what they're saying, it, it resonates with the visitor. So with the shared story, we did this through, um, created through a great deal of research, really. And we looked at, did a lot of desk research. 
we looked at what bloggers were saying, we looked at what journalists were saying, we looked at what international journalists were saying, we looked at what the guidebooks were saying, we looked at what we were saying, we looked at what other agencies like Tourism Ireland and Bordbia were saying, we did in-depth interviews with some key people in food in, in Ireland in the industry, we had consumer research, we did workshops with different groups and different trades, so like there was a lot of input into it. And the the thinking behind the shared story is it's a consistent, clear set of strong themes. And what it does is it highlights what's special and different because I think you have to remember every country in the world that has a tourism product is looking to food as a differentiator. So, and I mean, you can look at all these different countries and you'll see all of the same things they're saying, like the local food and the food heritage and the diversity of what's available and their artisan producers and like there's there's a lot of very similar themes there. So you got to kind of find something that sets Ireland apart. And they, yes, we can tell something that really resonates with with us. Um, and the story tends to be quite simple. It doesn't use very flowery marketing kind of language, but it's something that's kind of very authentic and true. And it's more it kind of gives a flavour rather than a list. Because um, you couldn't list everything, and and if if the um, if people want to go on to the website, it's on the faultireland.ie forward slash food. There's a video there that they can that they can um, watch, and the voiceover in that video is really what the story is. I have to say now about the voiceover that there's a line in it about Ireland and its great natural larder, which I just loved. Yeah, and it's very funny because different people pick out different lines. Um, and, and yeah, and it's interesting because I love the line. Um, and I don't know, do you want me to read it out or should we just let people watch the video? Uh, do you want to read a snippet of it out? Yeah. Um, let me see. Well, I'll start at the start and pick out little bits. It's uh, Ireland has long been recognised for the beauty of its landscapes and seascapes, the buzz of its cities and the warmth of its people. But now visitors are coming for its food and drink too. And that's hardly surprising, for Ireland has a natural, honest approach to food and an easygoing, warm style that's both rooted in tradition and very 21st century. So that's just like a little taste of it. And further on, the line I really like, it's for Ireland believes in small, we believe in local and we believe in personal. Did you write that? No, I didn't. It was, say, we took it from all of the feedback that we got from all of the research we did and then I worked with a company and then they like, kind of put the the main pieces together. I mean, there was areas for me I wanted very much in the piece about like kind of, yes, we're rooted in tradition, but very, very 21st century because I want to kind of put that thought out there. There's a new story to tell. Because it is beautifully written. Sorry for cutting yeah. across you there. No, but no, I it is. Yeah, no, they did a really good job. And what we did is once we kind of had the first draft of it, like we tweaked it here and back, and then we had another feedback session with, with the workshop, the people who were in the workshops, and then they gave us feedback, and then we incorporated that into it too. Like part of one of the feedbacks we got from somebody is um, we didn't have anything in it about cities that it came across as very rural. So that's where that piece, the buzz of its cities, and that first line I read, that's where that came from. So like there, it's very much um, based between the research that was done and all of the input. And, and the people that we, we used with the workshops and, and that were involved in the workshops and the interviews and that, 
a lot of the people in the interviews, like Tina, there'd be people who would be very involved with a lot of the representative groups, so they would have a good national view. But then also with the workshops, it was very much, we, we had asked all our food champions um, to invite two people with them. So it was a mix of everything from producers to owners to ice cream makers to farmers to like uh, right across the board. So I think that's, that's kind of why it works so well. And I think the, the thought behind this is okay, so you have that story. And then the, the, on the website, the faultireland.ie forward slash food, I mean, it's great having that, but then how do you actually use that in your business? So what we've done is we've created this toolkit and they can have their short videos that actually explain <clears throat> what a shared story is, how we made it, and, the, and then the story explained, because you were saying it's beautifully written, but it's very important that what's written kind of resonates. So yeah, we're talking about that um, Ireland's great landscapes and seascapes, if somebody hears that, that resonates with them because that's what we've always been known for. Uh, we wanted to really focus on the whole people element because that ties in very much with Ireland's reputation for hospitality. So when you hear it, it rings true. It doesn't, it doesn't say something that kind of would be totally alien to you. Um, so the story is, is there. It's in English, French, German and Italian that people can kind of cut and paste it and put it on their site. There's an area that talks about the main themes. And there's kind of six main themes, if you like, running through the story. And one is around simple and fresh. Another's a strong sense of place. Uh, you have local rules. You have the warm people. The new news, which is, again, that's like there's something different to say. And experiences that make memories. And part of this is it has all of the words from the word clouds that people can use. And then it also has the images. And if you click on any of these images, you can register on our content pool on our main website. And that gives you access to all of these images. You can download them and use them. And there's video snippets in there. So I know imagery is a lot of a problem for a lot of the smaller operators. But what you could also use those images for is ideas. So if you were doing your own photo shoot and you wanted to focus on, say, the warm people, these photos could be the kind of thing you could say to your photographer, like, look at those. That's the kind of feel that I want to get. So you can use it in lots of different ways. And then there's a piece around um, food experiences for visitors. And this is really important because it's important for visitors, or sorry, for businesses to know who their businesses are and what they want. So you will have some groups, like we call them like the culturally curious, and they very much want to do chat to the locals and hear about the food and, and like find out everything that's going on. And there's another group, and they're the, the great escapers, and they're all about the kind of uh, uh, just the couple, the family, that whole spending time together. So they'll be the ones, they want the cosy little pub table in the corner by the fire and really not talk to anybody. They're quite happy, but they still want good food. So it's all those little nuances. Um, and that also gives ideas of ways that you can use it. I mean, some people might take the story and say you're a producer. You might take the whole story, print it up on a little card and just pop it in with all anything that you send out. So to summer, sorry to cut across you there. And to summarize, then, if I'm a producer or a restaurateur, I can go on there and get lots of of um, tools and, and create my own video. 
Well, you can create your own video. You can use it to uh, create the text on your website. You could use it for um, tweets, if you wanted like kind of ideas for tweets. You could use it um, for to take quotes to put on the bottom of menus. Okay. You could use it, you could put it up on the blackboard in a pub. Do you know the way you see some restaurants and they have like kind of logos and things maybe written across the grass, glass or on the wall? Sure. You could do it for that. Um, you could take um, some of the, the, the themes of, say, you ran a festival and use some of the themes to build your programming for the festival around. So how you use it, it's, it's very flexible in that you use it in whatever way works for you. Okay. Like people don't all have to use it the same way, and, and that's why we took this approach, because th- there's no one single fit for everybody. I think it's a great idea and we, we've spoken recently to Kevin O'Hearn of Sage down in Middleton in County oh, yeah. Cork. Yeah. He did a video 12 Mile and Tom Flavin then of the Limerick Strand Hotel. Yes, that was lovely actually. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. They have their food story as well. So the whole video is very, it's very popular at the moment and it is a great way to get your message across but obviously a lot of people wouldn't have the resources to do that so your toolkit is the perfect go-to in order to really make maximum use of social media websites and everything that you set there yeah. so and i mean even if they want to they put it on their menus i mean there, there's different areas in here um their inspiration so they're like kind of ideas from different businesses and how they actually how they actually said something that really um, um, resonates. There was one, I'm not sure if it's up yet, I've been working on another bit down in Kinsale, I think it's the Bowman, and in there they talk about if it's a beautiful day, you like wander out to this, the, the water's edge and eat the mussels um, on the wall of the water, or if it's a cold evening, you sit inside on the table by the fire. So they were really thinking it from a visitor's perspective and how they could make it appealing no matter what the weather or what to do. Well, so I think... Great examples like that. It's a it's a great toolkit and people should definitely go on there. It's vultureireland.ie forward slash food. Yeah, forward slash food. And then we'll also be putting the video that I said to you that's on there. We'll also be... that At the minute, it's kind of like a, a for trade, if you like, but I'm going to rebrand it so it'll be consumer that then businesses can also link to that video from their own website so like kind of that video would almost be done already for them well thanks so much for talking to us about it tonight and hopefully a number of the listeners will log on there and have a look at it okay great thanks sharon you're listening to the best possible taste on west limerick 102 fm Welcome back to tonight's programme. If you've just joined us, we heard earlier from Sinead Neeland of the Organic College in Drumcolliher. And just before the break, Fulcher Ireland's Helen McDade was discussing the free marketing toolkit that is available online for food businesses. If you Google Fulcher Ireland or Food Story, you'll find the page that Helen was talking about. And it is very interesting. If you missed those interviews or you're just tuning in now, the show will be up on the best possible taste podcast later on in the week along with all the previous shows from this year you'll find the podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash food and drink show and there's hyphens between the food and drink show 
Still to come tonight, I'll be sharing that conversation that I had with journalist Katie McGuinness whenever I met her at the Dingle Food Festival. Next, though, it's time to invite nutritionist Christine O'Sullivan into the studio and I'm going to ask her about eczema and the diet. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Christine O'Sullivan of Christine O'Sullivan Nutrition joins me now and we're going to talk about something specific, Christine, and that is my three-year-old daughter, Hannah, has really bad eczema. So you were good enough to do a consultation with her and one of the things that you did with her was you checked her tongue. Yes. Why did you do that? To get an idea of the look, uh, you know, how her, her tongue looked as in uh, the colour of it, you know. Um, sometimes we should really have a nice pink, uh, kind of ready uh, tongue, um, nice uh, nice wee sheen on it uh, with not too much white or really thick kind of yellow coating. And sometimes that can be a sign of an overgrowth um, of yeast, you know, and it can tell a lot about the body, tell a lot about what's happening within the body as well. And also with regards to digestion, um, if there's indentation marks on the side of the tongue, it can also be a sign of a bit of a breakdown of digestion. So it's a general overview to tell us if there's something gone wrong. And what did you observe whenever you looked at Hannah's tongue? Um, there was a little bit of a, um, a coating on the tongue from what I remember at the time, um, but generally healthy looking. Yeah. And, and we sat down and we had a conversation and just tell the listeners what sort of questions you would ask and what you asked me on the day. Well, the type of questions we need is to get a general um, history of Hannah's health, you know. So when did the actual eczema start? Um, and obviously, you know, kind of take take down those time frames as well. And the kind of questions I asked you on the day would have been like, um, was it when you introduced solid foods? You know, was there any type of a reaction there when you introduced, you know, cow's milk at 12 months? something like that um, and you know did, was Hannah breastfed or, or bottle fed and also to get an idea of her immune system you know did she have frequent colds and flus and that type of thing and also of course the diet you know what's going on within Hannah's um, diet what she's taking into the body and how's her digestive system because at the end of the day you know we, we do often say we are what we eat but in actual fact we are what we absorb of what we eat you know so having good digestion is hugely important um, within an individual's health. In your experience whenever it comes to eczema what would you be looking out for? So I'd be looking out for digestion first and foremost you know so is there a reason why um, the foods that we're taking in is causing a bit of an allergic reaction, do you know? So if there is any... um if there's any constipation going, in, going on within a child or an adult that has eczema, that can be a sign that there's a, a bit of a toxic overload within the body, you know. So it's hugely important to get that cleared out, first of all, you know. Um, or also if there's bloating uh, within the stomach, if there's signs of that or discomfort, it can be a sign that digestion has broken down, you know. As in, you know, we could take in the best food, you know, uh, organic foods and so on and so forth, but if we don't have the ability to digest down that food and absorb the goodness out of it, then that can actually cause an allergic reaction, which we typically see in signs and symptoms like eczema, you know. And what do we need to do then to improve the digestion? Well, we need to look at what the symptoms are, first of all. Um, and if the symptoms are bloating, you know, especially at the top of the stomach, can be a sign of, you know, stomach digestion being impaired, you know. And or if, you know, there's diarrhoea or constipation, you know, that's a sign that uh, at the other end, elimination is a problem, do you know. So there's different things to be done. First of all, you've, and you also obviously have to get to the root cause as well. Um, in order to improve digestion, 
it's about looking at what is the cause of it, you know, where is it happening, is it in the stomach or is, you know, the small intestine or is it perhaps the elimination element? If it's in the stomach, you know, it's about taking in good quality foods that can improve that. So all your greens, green leafy vegetables, they help with digestion, always having a bit of rawness with your cooked meals. So that helps actually break down the food and helps actually increase the enzyme activity. We are designed, our bodies are designed that we do the 50-50 approach, as in 50% of the breaking down of our foods comes from our actual stomachs. If, if everything's going well, you know, as in the enzyme reactions within the stomach, but we must also take in good quality food to do the other 50%. So mainly kind of the raw green leafies, uh, the parsley, um, spinach and all of those type of things. I know with kids sometimes it can be difficult to get those in, but definitely things like smoothies are fantastic, soup um, and, and things like that. And you can also throw them into raw desserts, um, which um, very popular with, with parents trying course, to get. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it's about looking at what is what is the problem, improving that. Obviously, supplements can help as well. You know, but definitely increasing the fruit and the vegetables to help with elimination, making sure that the bowels are working naturally um, on a daily basis and also reducing down any uh, inflammation or bloating within the digestive system. Now you said there about determining whether or not it was the stomach or the small intestine. How do you determine that? How do you work that out or figure it out? Well, it'd be signs and symptoms, really, you know, of what you're, what you're saying, you know. So if there's bloating within, you know, 20... 20 minutes to an hour after eating can be said it's typically stomach digestion because that's where protein protein digestion takes place and it takes you know normally about two to three hours for that to take place you know but if it's later on and it's pain um, you know then it can be more kind of within the small intestine or you know the large intestine so we had a long conversation and then you provided me with a treatment plan. Will you tell the listeners what the, that consisted of? Yeah, absolutely. So based on the conversation we had and obviously the, the answers you give me, um, we looked at the treatment aims of being to eliminate any any possible cause of inflammation. Do you know? So, you know, the allergies, the, the, the main allergens in foods that we see with eczema would be typically cow's milk, wheat and sugar. You know, so to eliminate those for at least four weeks to see what type of results we get you know um, so there could be good quality foods in their own right but for some people they just don't suit you know and they are well linked and well researched uh, as being so cow's milk you could replace it with almond milk what about goat's milk goat's milk fantastic yeah it's easier to digest it's still dairy but it's easier to digest okay. than the cow's milk you know um, so th- eliminate that first of all improve digestion you know so as I say we are what we absorb so if a digestion is out any any what you know then that's going to actually cause inflammation and can cause a bit of an immune response which is, we see in eczema as well to improve immunity um, so obviously eczema is looked at as very much a, a skin condition and it is a skin condition but when you go to the root cause of that and you see that it's inflammation of the skin an actual fact is the immune system sending that, out that response so if we improve immunity we should see an improvement there in terms of the responses in and out as well you know so in terms of improving immunity what we'll be looking at is adding in all the good quality foods that do that like garlic um 
fish soup you know sweet potato lots of vegetables in your soups you know good concentrated forms of nutrition you know and we did add in some supplements as well which we'll, we'll come on to a bit later but certainly in terms of the vitamins vitamin E vitamin C beta carotene which would be in your sweet potato your carrots all of the uh, the orange type uh, vegetables fantastic selenium which is fantastic for the immune system great for the skin and also zinc zinc rich foods you know that's that was our plan in terms of increasing the immunity and proven immunity and also a whole natural diet you know so taking out stripping out any processed foods you know stripping out you know the sweets and whatnot very hard to avoid them but kids you know absolutely go mad for them and once they they, they have them in their diet you know finds parents find it very difficult to actually take them out you know so what we're doing is trying to move to a whole more of a natural diet but you know I did give some raw uh, dessert ideas which can you know can still keep that sweetness in but try, you know, to go for foods that are completely whole in natural state, you know, as much as possible, stick to one ingredient foods uh, as much as possible and increase the essential fats, you know. So again, a lot of the time when we have dry skin, eczema on the skin, it's a sign that we're deficient in essential fats, you know. And we have become very um, almost <laughs> allergic, pardon the pun, to fats um, in this country. We're, we're very much low fat, no fat, you know, because we're so concerned about our weight in terms of, you know, putting on weight. But we now we know that fats really, in essence, it's not, they haven't been the problem. It's mainly carbohydrates in terms of the weight weight gain. So we mustn't be afraid of fats. You know, our fats are hugely, that's why they're called essential fats. They're essential to our health. They're essential to our bodies to keep us uh, functioning properly. And our, our brains are made up of 60% fat. So if we don't have that much fat in our diet, then of course concentration levels are going to be low for kids, you know. And also, you know, we're going to see areas like eczema as well or dry skin conditions come up, you know. So the the essential fats, we're talking about nuts and seeds and oils, good quality oils like coconut oil is fantastic. And that can be applied topically to the skin as well, you know, and also added into dishes like soups and into the raw desserts and whatnot. Um, and oily fish, fantastic beautiful so to increase the essential fats and we also did put in a supplement of eczema eczema um, oil as well for kids which is fantastic and increase as I said the, the sink rich foods so we're talking about you know uh, the pumpkin seeds the red meat fish nuts and beans you know so you can see all of the foods that I've mentioned they typically are they're very very similar you know they, they contain all the vitamins and minerals that are essential for skin health you know and zinc is hugely important you know for us women who like to look after our skin and so on and so forth zinc is what helps with cell renewal um, and cell growth and it's involved in a myriad of functions throughout the body so it's very very important pumpkin seeds you know definitely in terms of anti-aging <laughs> that's where we need to be at you know so those were the treatment aims and after that following on from that I did do out a menu plan um, based on those treatment aims and you did give me some recipes as well to go with the menu plan which which was very good yes. now, obviously the breakfast cereal in the morning we would be very much Weetabix or porridge in our house so yes. she's actually getting it at the moment with goat's milk and brilliant. seems to love it brilliant fantastic well done but she would have a bit of a sweet tooth as many kids do and we find that if there has been a party of some description where there is a lot of rubbish that her skin totally flares up after that wow yeah so you can see it firsthand there you know that the sugar 
especially the sugar. And of course, a lot of the party foods are going to be complaining or containing uh, wheat as well, you know, so your, your cakes and your biscuits and so on and so forth. And that's a well-known allergen. And a lot of the milk chocolate is going to have cow's milk in it as well, you know. Um, it is difficult to get away from it, but using dried fruit is fantastic. Um, dates, you know, my wee girl, for example, absolutely loves raw desserts with dates. We, there's some, uh, if you have a look on my Facebook page, I just posted um, a lovely recipe for sweet potato brownies. Absolutely. And all that's in it is sweet potatoes, which would be fantastic for the immune system. Dates, uh, raw cocoa powder, which is raw chocolate. And it's quite bitter, you know. Um, is that like uh, drinking chocolate powder? No, it's... Uh, well, <laughs> it's actually quite bitter. Yeah, you can, you can add it to almond milk and, and drink it all right. But kids w- wouldn't find it, you know, nice at all. But when you put it in along with dates, it's beautiful. They're so, so sweet. But raw chocolate is actually fantastic. It's quite full of antioxidants, vitamin A, vitamin E, absolutely beautiful in terms of the mineral content. But, in ter- you know, when, when that cocoa is added uh, to, you know, to make milk chocolate, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny amount that's added on and all the sugar is thrown in on top of it. So we think we're eating chocolate, but when you strip it back and just use raw cocoa, it's beautiful. So sweet potato, dates, raw cocoa powder, um, maple syrup and some almonds beautiful so you you um, steam up the sweet potatoes mix them with the dates in a food processor and you've got a paste and you add the rest of the ingredients and brown uh, rice flour as well absolutely gorgeous and we made them just yesterday evening um, and um, absolutely gorgeous yeah and beautiful brown rice flour is to avoid the wheat exactly yeah yes yeah. an alternative there's so many alternatives you know um, you know just go into your local health food stores there and you'll see you know the alternatives for uh, to get away from the gluten you know and the wheat it's absolutely brilliant. So, yeah, there's lots of alternatives. There's naked bars, which kids seem to love as well. And it's got the cocoa and all that kind of stuff, you know, in it as well. So it's about not necessarily, you know, you know, uh, deciding on a Sunday evening, right, that's it. No more sweets. No more. We have to get those out. But gradually you know so you know decide maybe one week that right we're going to stop the milk chocolate we're going to introduce something else we're going to introduce a bit of darker chocolate see how that goes down you know we're going to stop the crisps we're going to try and bring in you know maybe some hummus chips or lentils or something like that you know because if if it's done really um, overnight if it's oh, done gradually yeah, absolutely fantastic but if, yeah it works better absolutely yeah Christine yeah. thanks so much for coming in tonight you're, you're welcome your web address is christineosullivannutrition.com and do you want to give out the details of your Facebook page there thank well? you yeah COS Nutrition and I'm based uh, here in Newcastle West you know uh, so I work from Cara Medical Centre on typically on Thursdays and Fridays, see patients on a one-to-one basis, but also I love to do talks, uh, group talks and group workshops as well. So thank you, Sharon. Thanks a million. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was talking to nutritionist Christine O'Sullivan about the connection between the diet and eczema. Check out her website christineosullivannutrition.com for more details on the services that Christine provides and her contact information is up there also.
Okay, next I have a piece for you from my visit to the Dingle Food Festival in October. When I was there I met Katie McGuinness and she'll be well known to many of our listeners. She's a restaurant critic for the Gloss magazine and she's a food writer for the Sunday Times amongst many other things I'm sure. And I was lucky enough to get to meet her and I had a chat with her. So let's have a listen. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Katie, you write for the Sunday Times. I do. And you also do the reviews for the Gloss magazine. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I want to ask you about being a restaurant critic. Right. There must be a lot of pressure. Well, I don't think, I, I don't think there's a lot of pressure. Um, I do a monthly review at the moment, which is actually just a pleasure to do. I used to write for the Sunday Tribune and do a weekly review, and that was more pressured because you would actually get to a point where you had to file a review the next day and it would be like, oh my God, do I have to go out and eat at a restaurant again? You know, which is not, you know, you wouldn't expect a whole lot of sympathy for that because um, obviously, you know, it, it is a great gig to have. I mean, you wouldn't make a living at it, but uh, it's a nice gig to have as a sideline. So what do you do when you go in somewhere and the service is awful, the menu choice is awful, and then what comes out and is put in front of you to eat is awful, or is that a very rare occurrence? I tell you, um, the, uh, I review for the glass at the moment, and I really, because it's a monthly, I am really looking for places that are good and that I can recommend to people. And, so, you know, the, because of the nature of the magazine it is, I'm looking for places that have a bit of a sense of occasion about them, somewhere that you would get dressed up to go to, uh, and so I, re- I do my research before I go, and I really do try and pick somewhere that I'm going to like. Um, I would never pick somewhere, you know, thinking that I'm going to have a bad time and I'm going to slate it, because that's not what my brief is. So do you find that friends say to you, oh, Katie, I was at such and such a place the other day and it's fabulous, you really should go there? Or do you look at the restaurant awards oh, to see who's won uh, awards? Every, everything. Everything and also, you know, because if you if you work in this area, then you do get invited to try quite a lot of places, say new places. Perhaps you might get invited to try when they open, which would give you a sense of what somewhere is going to be like. Now, you don't review somewhere on an invitation like that, but it might give you an indication that that's somewhere to go back to to review. So you might go to their opening, for example, yeah, as a guest and, exactly. and suss it out and then go back at a later yeah, date. Yeah, sometimes I end up doing that and sometimes it's recommendations or, or you know, just grapevine stuff really. Or if a particular chef that I know is good has moved from one place to somewhere else, then that's always interesting. Um, or, or a particular, you know, restaurateur has set up a new place because there are a few people in Ireland who have more than one restaurant and maybe have a bit of a track record in opening places that have a, something a bit different about them or that, are, you know, that they they are, uh, you know, they're good barometer, you know, they, 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 in, they go for, they set up quality places and I know that their standards are high, so if they open somewhere new, chances are that's going to be good as well. If you're celebrating an occasion yourself, mm-hmm. where's your top place to go? I have a few favourites at the moment. Um, I love Eto on Marion Row, which just got a bib gourmand in the Michelin Awards uh, last week, which you know they really deserve, and it's a great place. Um, I love Forest Avenue, 
which is run by a very talented couple, um, John Wire and Sandy Sabak, who um, in Donnybrook, and that is a fantastic place, really modern food, very cool, very smart. And um, I love Chapter One, as we all do, <laughs> because it's just, you know, for to celebrate an occasion or something, I don't think, you know, there's anywhere like it, really. Also, you know, uh, Michael Villianen at the Greenhouse, I think, is a fantastic chef. Um, you know, I think, you know, in Dublin, we're spoiled for choice at the moment. Were you surprised that the Greenhouse didn't get a Michelin star? I'm always surprised that the Michelin, uh, that they haven't uh, been recognised by the Michelin inspectors, and I just hope that they'll come to their senses. And there were no new stars no in new Ireland stars, this year. No. Are you very surprised with that? Um, you know, yeah, I'm surprised, disappointed. I mean, I don't know why it is, really. I mean, it, you know, I think I'm not a particular fan of fine dining, and I think Michelin is still stuck in a little bit of a time warp, um, you know, in that sense doesn't always recognise the most exciting places to eat and so on so you know I mean I th- would have thought Forest Avenue would have would have got something as well maybe not a star but quite yet because they've only been open for such a short time but you know Eto got a bib I'm surprised that Forest Avenue didn't I don't know I don't really understand the system you know I think you're not alone <laughs> well possibly Ox as well in Belfast is another one that should you know should have had some sort of recognition. It's a fantastic restaurant. I mean, one of the best places I've been to in the last couple of years. And, um, you know, nothing for them either. So so that's one place outside of Dublin mm. that you would recommend. Any other places outside of um, the capital? Well, uh, seeing as we're in Dingle, I really love uh, Global Village here. Uh, Martin Bielan's Global Village, I think, is a fantastic place. I'm very keen on Out of the Blue, terrific fish. Um, always and um, I'm trying a new place tomorrow night here at Eda's which I'm hoping will be I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right but um, I hear good things about that Um, elsewhere um, I think there's some uh, where is there fantastic food I think um, that Robbie and I can't pronounce his second name but he used to be at the Chop House in Lismore is cooking amazing food up in Tankardstown at the moment in Meath um, in Galway, I have really ed- enjoyed Anir and Kava, more casual but good fun. And Kai in Galway is fantastic as well. Um, Jess Murphy there is an amazing chef from New Zealand. Do you get to travel around the country a lot or do you find you're spending a lot of your time in Dublin? Uh, well, I'm, I live in Dublin, so I'm mainly there. But I mean, I get out of Dublin as often as I can to try new places. And if you're not reviewing the restaurants, then you're writing food stories. Yeah. So what sort of food stories do you write about? Um, anything and everything, really. Um, I, uh, I'm always interested in, you know, in Irish producers and chefs who are doing something kind of interesting or, um, you, know, initi- you know, food initiatives that might be happening. So I just sort of get trying to keep my, you know, eyes open and my ears to the ground about stories that are going on. I've, I did a piece last week which um, I really loved doing about a new project in Dublin called The Skillet, um, which is which was set up by a guy who works in the YMCA in Dublin, a youth worker and um, called Tommy Bergen, and he and his partner, whose name is Mae Chin, and she is a Chinese-American food writer who lives in Dublin. They have set up this project where they, um, they recruited unemployed uh, young people in Dublin 
to do a crash course in restaurant restaurant industry skills, both in in the in the kitchen and um, front of house. And at the end of ten days, they put on a pop up restaurant in the Royal College of Surgeons in Dublin. And uh, you know, the people who were par- participating in the course, some of them were homeless, some of them were, had come out of prison. So, you know, they all, they had some very difficult backgrounds, and uh, they were all unemployed and they did this extraordinary you know they accomplished this extraordinary feat in over the course of 10 days with some very serious mentors helping them so they had you know Ross Lewis and, and Derry Clark helping them they had Declan Maxwell who's manager at chapter one helping them on front of house they had some very talented chefs cookery instructors helping them in the kitchen and um, they did an extraordinary job and you know now they are all getting placements in different restaurants and you know I think some of them may make a, end up making a career out of it so I loved writing that because it was as, as much a sort of social um, social story not in the high, high society kind of way but it was more uh, so in uh, a social story as it was a food story and I loved that that was really interesting and is that just for a week that they were doing that, or is that an ongoing project? Uh, it was a one. It, 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 that was the first one. It was the pilot project, but they're hoping to run it again and do the same again, and we, you know, with more people and so on. This one was just five people. We were in Dingle for the weekend. Yep. So no doubt you'll have lots of material next week whenever you go home. <laughs> Um, I will. I'm, you know, I may not be writing about Dingle next week, but I'll be writing about Dingle at some point over the next few months in some context. I'm not quite sure what yet. But uh, And you should also write about this girl in Newcastle West that's doing a food drink radio programme. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I will do that, definitely. So we shall look out for that yes, in yes. one of your upcoming columns. Yes, yes. Katie, thanks so much for talking to not me. Not at all. Thank you. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. My R is up, so thanks very much for tuning in, be it via traditional wireless or if you're farther afield through the tunein.com website or the TuneIn app, be sure to let friends and families out of the area know that they can listen in. Remember the podcast also at soundcloud.com forward slash food and drink show. If you missed any of the show tonight or maybe even an older one or if you want to listen to it all over again, you are most welcome to do so. Thanks to all of tonight's guests, Sinead Neeland, Helen McDeed, Christine O'Sullivan and Katie McGuinness. Next week, Ron Forrestal returns with wine recommendations, which we all love and adore. Until then, keep warm, have a great week and bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit.